This is One Heat Minute. Drop of a hat, these guys will rock and roll. What's your name? Wayne Grove. Look like gangbangers working the local 7-Eleven. Robbery homicides take me out. Give me all you got! Listen. Give me all you got! I do what I do best. I take scores. You do what you do best. I'm trying to stop guys like me. A podcast dedicated to all 170 minutes of Michael Mann's L.A. crime opus Heat, one minute at a time. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to One Heat Minute. I'm your host, Blake Howard. Joining me today for a very special bonus episode of One Heat Minute is, well, a man that I've studied for like three years intensively, more than that beyond this crazy project of One Heat Minute and all of its offshoots. A person who I think has maybe one of the greatest tough guy performances, definitely one of the greatest tough guy looks and just one of the most fascinating and engaging and captivating roles as Michael Torito in this movie. He doesn't really need an introduction, but I'm going to give him a proper one because he deserves it. He's been in Spielberg movies, Ridley Scott movies, Oliver Stone movies, Catherine Bigelow movies. He's even in the kind of semi-sequel TV series to this entire film, Robbery Homicide Division. He has the most quotable lines of dialogue in this 166-minute crime epic. In fact, I even own a sweater that has, in gold embossed writing, the action is the juice. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Tom Sizemore to One Heat Minute. Tom, it is absolutely outlandishly great to talk to you today. I I, got it. Thank you for that introduction. It's quite uh, quite kind of you, and uh, uh, reminds me of, um, of of a beautiful time in my life um, working with Michael Michael Mann. And um, thank you. It's great to be here. Look, Tom. But we 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 have to start. I mean, look. It's it's our firstly. It's my pleasure to to talk to you. So that introduction is the least I could do. Um, people who listen to this podcast have already unpacked every single moment of this movie um sometimes in a multi-length you know multi-episodes and and um i wanted to just really start off because um when we started our conversation i wanted to sort of play it back for folks who who are listening um you weren't aware of the project but i think that you were when i was talking to you just moments ago you were really pleasantly surprised that this is a project that earns that kind of scrutiny because in your mind you were like there were so many subplots there's so much stuff you can't miss a thing if you put it under this level of scrutiny is that is that your thought about this kind of crazy project that we've done yeah i mean if there's any movie i know of that i've been in or know of that would deserve one minute at a time it's, it's this one and maybe um citizen kane um this is on the top of my head, you know, I'm sure there's others, you know. Um, Negatives and Ambersons, um, The Third Man, Heat. I mean, there's a, just a few, it's a handful of movies. And <clears throat> just they, in, in Heat, there's so many things going on at all times. I mean, the, you know, there's, um, there's the, the parole officer and, the, you know, Bud Court's part, he plays the, the short order cook, who threatens him, who threatens him. Um, What's his name? I can't Dennis Haysbert. Dennis Haysbert. Dennis with the uh, calling his probation officer or parole officer. It's parole officer. He's on parole. He's out of prison. Um, unfortunately, I found out what that was about. Anyway, he threatens him with um, his parole officer, and um, 
and then his girlfriend who doesn't want him to do anything wrong and the heartbreak there and then the, the, you know and, um, uh, what's his name um who's the asshole we're going after the whole movie uh, <laughs> well, well there's two assholes there's van zandt and there's wayne Crow, both of those guys <laughs> william fickner is uh um uh, yeah, he's a bad as an asshole too yeah he's a pussy asshole <laughs> dangerous asshole i mean he's dangerous he'd kill you on, on, on the second um that he um he kills that prostitute that young girl and and her mother i mean just the all those things are all those moments that you saw in the movie were earned and uh, you know they, they, they michael had had invested invested them in, in his mind as well as on the screen you know the, the woman run, the mother runs up and owls Pacino's in the hands in the in the in the in the, in the, in the, in the motel in the car in the parking lot there, trying to give her some kind of solace. Uh, you know that all those things you know you couldn't appreciate them if you just saw the movie. I mean, I didn't appreciate them when I read the movie, and um, you know I didn't get it all for a long time. Um, and I got really close to Michael. I ended up doing a TV show with him, and he, he's um, all those lines in that movie he wrote them. And there's very little, if any, improvisation in a Michael Mann movie because he's able to write it where you don't need to do any of that shit. Yes. <clears throat> you know, for me, is the juice I'm in, that's been scripted. Yeah. Um, everything in there is scripted. I mean, it, it's hard to believe it. All of it is scripted. Everything. And it has that, that banter that, that, that you just can't write like that. I mean, not many people write it. He's the best there is. I mean, what got me about Michael and so to this day is no one like him. Is everything you see on the screen is Michael's. The, the, the shot, the clothes, the dialogue, the story, everything, the cut, the music, everything is Michael. I mean, he has a he has a costume designer, but he gives her a palette to work from. And yes. she brings but Michael is the is the discerning eye on what it's gonna be like. What is it really gonna be? It's Michael. As talented as Dante is, it's Michael. Yeah, that is going to is going to say this is what it, this is this is the palette we're working with. And, you know, okay, here's my cho- here you give me these choices. I pick this one and go do it. Okay, and we're not going to do that. We're a couple of we didn't shoot it at all. Yes, because they couldn't get the light right. That's unheard of. I've never <laughs> done it with any life. We didn't roll camera. We never shot a frame a frame twice. Times yeah. and um we were like eighteen days behind on day five. I mean, <laughs> we went three months over. Yeah, it's, it's, just, it's a great, it's a work of art. I mean, it really is. Yeah, it's, it was wonderful talking to Dante. And I think you bring up, it's like one time I was talking to Dante, you know, normally talking in the language of someone like educating the listeners who maybe aren't familiar what a cinematographer does. And Dante is really funny. He's like, look on some films. I, you know, obviously I work with the lights. I get the lenses. I work with my director to do the compositions of the shots. And sometimes that's more of a collaborative thing. He goes, one of the things about working with Michael, especially as an Italian cinematographer breaking his way into Hollywood, he's like, Michael, I just give Michael the light. Michael composes, Michael's on the lens. Michael composes the shot. Michael actually sometimes knows what lens he wants. Like, he's like, Michael is the guy. Like, you know, that's why I love working with Michael because it's, he's, he's giving me the instructions of what I need. Um, and I wanted to tag on to what you said, because, you know, some of your, you know, I talked about some of your great lines and we'll get to some of those conversations, but you know, just little bits and pieces that I love. And I love so much about your character, Michael Torito, and is one of the moments when you guys are all, uh, 
what what Pacino's Hannah calls in a convention. You guys are all the, you know, your crew's dinner together. And your character says to your daughter, Linda, you go, what do you want to be when you grow up, honey? And she says, I don't know. And you go, just like me, I don't know either. And there's some of those moments that I think you give this color to this guy who is really charming and just like gregarious and like a fun guy to be around, but also has this switch that when he's on the job, like it's life or death, it's right here and now. And sociopath. Yeah, complete sociopath, complete sociopath. He's a sociopath. He wants the money. And when he's Neil, um, that's what we're doing. We're getting money. So, um, I mean, I don't know what else to tell you, except that Michael draws these characters that are, you just got to follow Michael and um, you're going to get, he can be a little hard, a little harsh. Um, He's an intellectual, you know, Um, very few uh, true intellectuals that make movies, I think. Michael's a real intellectual. And uh, he's just wonderful, man. I don't know what to say about him. He's wonderful. Can you take us back to something before? Because I've, you know, it was there was a really funny DVD commentary that Michael did actually with James Khan about Thief, and James Khan completely derailed the conversation about the movie that they were meant to be commentating on to say, Michael, how the hell did you do Heat without me? You got Al, you got Bobby. And like, you could have had the trio of Godfather boys. So clearly it was a funny joke at the time, but I feel like in this project, we've learned about so many actors that would like love working with Michael in their career, wanted to heard about this movie and just would have fought tooth and nail to get up to be a part of it. Can I ask, how did, how did you, you become a part of the film because I, you know, that that's some of those pieces of this movie coming together and someone like yourself who I, you know, we've even played the game on the show before. Like, would you ever, how could you ever recast this movie? And I almost have as difficult a time of recasting this movie as I do the Godfather. Like, I'm like, I don't know who else you get in, in the different ages. It's so hard to pick people who are complimentary to, and can stand up on the screen with De Niro and Pacino at their best at this time in their career. So how did you become a part of, a part of this movie? Did you know about it and go, I have to be a part of this movie? No, no, no. I, I didn't know about it. It was a real hush hush um, in Hollywood. Um, uh, Bob saw vis-a-vis Sean Penn. He saw True Romance. And, um, right. and I'd done a movie with, with Bob De Niro called, um, about the Hollywood, Hollywood, um, the Hollywood ten, the, the the McCarthy hearings. I played Sam Cohn. Um, I played the attorney, and um, what was it called? Uh, God, I can't remember. But it was just one scene. So Bob knew me, and he, he saw that scene, and he saw he saw the movie True Romance, and then he was invited to a screening of of Natural Born Killers, and um, he called Michael the next day and said, "I, I think um, I think I, I think I know who should play Trudeau. And I was told all this by Michael later, much later, when the movie was over. And <clears throat> I got a call from my agent that day. I found out later that Michael, Michael and Bob had talked. And um, then I had a meeting with Michael the following week or a few days later. Um, and they were going to send over. I had to go into his office and read the script after hours or some shit. It was, it was, <laughs> couldn't get the it was under lock and key. Um, for for um, for an actor like myself, I and mean, Bob probably had a script, and Al had a script for sure. <clears throat> so I, I went in and read it, and then I I went in and took the meeting, and 
the meeting doesn't stand out in my mind that much because Michael had kind of made up his mind to cast me. Um, wow. He, I remember he asked me, do you feel, do you feel like you can uh, stand up? Can you stand next to De, De Niro? And, uh, and, and I go from a tight De Niro to, to you and, you know, drop in, uh, drop in the level of, uh, I said, what do you mean? You think, are you asking me if I'm as good an actor as Bob De Niro? <laughs> can you get your name up here and keep it up here? And the physical demands, <clears throat> I just want to let you know that these robberies, these guys do these high-end robberies where three guys can take on a police force of 2,500. Um, these guys are in condition. And I said, well, I, I can get in that kind of shape. And um, yeah, I think I can stand up next to the, the Bob De Niro or Robert De Niro. He's been my idol since I was a teenager. Um, and it would be a, it would be a dream come true and stuff. And I he said, okay, so, okay, I'm going to hire you then. I was right there in the room. <laughs> so when I went to the, my car, <laughs> I didn't have time to be kind of bowled over. I was sitting in my car and I didn't call my agent until I got hired. And, uh, yeah, it was uh, it was wild, and um, then then this is wild. It was November, and I went home for Christmas to Michigan. From I lived in LA, and I went back yeah. to Michigan, and I was home. It was Christmas Eve, and my <clears throat> my father's landline rang, and uh, my dad yelled out and said, "He goes, Thomas, Michael Mann's on the phone." <laughs> <laughs> what a Christmas present! What a Christmas present! <laughs> are you going to be away for the holidays? And if you are, do you have a contact number? Michael might want to talk to you. I said, oh, sure, sure. My, my dad was in Michigan, 313-839-6081. Um, that was the number. That's so why I, I gave the number. And he called on New Year, on Christmas Eve and said, I'm sorry about this uh, scheduling deal, but we didn't think we'd get this, this, this location for, I said, location? We don't shoot the movie until March. <laughs> we start March 7th. He said, location for rehearsals. I said, rehearsals of what? And he goes, of the, of the of a robbery. We're going to start. I didn't explain. I said, we're going to do the robbery. We're going to rehearse for six weeks. Oh, my <laughs> really? God. Rehearse for six weeks? And I was thinking in my head, as my agent, we're going to rehearse for six weeks. Of course, they didn't know. They, they just totally told them that day also. And But this location became available. And so, But we have to start. If I want to get the time I want, we got to start now. So I need you to fly back to L.A. tonight. We're going to go tomorrow to work the 26th of December. And, and it's just a rehearsal though. And we'll, we start when at dawn, which is like a six fifty, and um we 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 we're, we're done at dusk. <laughs> so, Jesus. Like, and dusk oh, in LA is like eight PM. <laughs> like it's like it's Jesus Christ. Okay. We started out, out with the simplest of simplest of, of deals and then you know by the end of it we were you know you could, you saw the magazine change that Val did. You saw the way we handled those weapons. We were we weren't virtuosos, but we were we were pretty damn good. And um, so I flew back to Los Angeles the evening of the of Christmas, and I was there the following morning. And um, <clears throat> I drove out to where Magic Mountain is, and it's, it's where the LAPD where we rehearsed was where the LAPD used to have their um, police. Um, what's it called? You go to police academy. The police academy. That's where we rehearsed on one of their shooting on one of their um, their shooting ranges. And as well as Al's group was doing simultaneously working with their weapons on an adjacent, but we couldn't see them on an adjacent shooting range. And all of, both both parties that were involved in that shooting shoot, shootout rehearsed from the 26th of December until the, the beginning of March. And then we had seven days off, 
um, was in the movie March 9th, March 9th, um, 1995. That is so unbelievable. I'm just like, <laughs> as the biggest fan of this movie, I am just bowled you, over, you but I'm, not, I'm also completely not surprised. Um, but one of the things I was I, just going to say though, you kind of talked down your ability, you guys, you and Val, uh, but people have been chasing the dragon of this movie for 25 years. You know, it was only a couple of days ago that the 25th anniversary of the Burbank premiere came and went. And I'm going to catch the tail of this movie. They're not going to catch it. People have been chasing it forever, Tom. Like, and, and I feel like someone who ever goes, Oh, this movie's great. You know, it feels like it's inspired by heat. Whenever anyone says that, I like, just don't, don't compare it to the best that it's ever been done. You're just only setting yourself up for failure. So that's why the alchemy of this movie I, I love. And, and that preparation story is just so damn wonderful. So well, Jordan, the movies, this is LeBron James and Michael Jordan and Larry Bird together. I mean, <laughs> yeah. cops, and, cops and robbers movies, you can't touch it. There's nothing. There's no one near it. No. There's nothing. Tell me something that's near it with yeah. story and action. And, and the, the characters realize the degree to which those are realized in that movie. And yeah. He walks to Brenneman in that car. And he's taking off his tie and he sees Pacino run out the street. There's a fadedness to that moment that you knew and he knew he had his appointment with, with Hannah. The moment he found out who the man was, it was almost, he wasn't even surprised. The look on Bob's face when he looks at her like, hey, forgive me, but I got to do something right now. I got to not bring this heat to you. I got to run. Um, that moment was really sad in a lot of ways, but there was a certain acceptance of the near, I mean, you got to have such powerful actors, intellectual actors. And, a, and of course, what you need most of all is a guy who wrote the story. And Michael had written this movie um, and had realized these people in his yeah. own mind and to give it to us to do. And um, there's just no one, no one like Michael Mann. I mean, I've worked with the greatest directors of, of our, of my generation and the previous generation. And I, I can safely and humbly tell you that no one is, no one was like Michael Mann um, on all fronts. He was the most talented and with it filmmaker I've, I've ever been around. So let's go back then for everyone, for context, heat is released in December is in December of 1995. You start shooting in March. And a nine-month turnaround on a on a grandiose, almost three-hour crime epic to be shot and then cut. That's a massive commitment for, you know, especially at the time, because it's not as easy, it's much easier now with digital photography and then digital editing and you know, you know, cutting on the dailies. At the time, Michael Mann had four editors, two teams that were working almost 24 hours a day that were like cutting footage at the same time. So the things could progress to the natural, you know, as you said, you were 18 days behind at day five. I love that phrase. Um, but when you guys are making it and you know it's good, obviously you're doing the rehearsal, you've got these guys. Talk to me about like wrapping this movie up and the anticipation of it being released because I think it, you know, it seemed for some whatever weird reason the critical response was pretty muted. Um, and in all the and in all the research that I've done, there's like sort of outliers that loved it. You know, even like say a Manola Dargis, who's now the you know the chief critic at New York Times, she wrote about it at LA Times and really liked it. There's a few people that liked it. Even Ebert gave it three and a half out of four stars, which is pretty good for a Roger Ebert review. But it didn't set the world on fire. It didn't make a lot of noise. It was shocking. I was shocked. It didn't make a lot of noise. I mean, it didn't get any of the 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 heat, if you will. Pardon me. It didn't get any of the heat. 
pillars gone. It didn't, the movies I'd been in, it didn't get any of the heat that I wasn't in Reservoir Dogs. I was almost in it. It didn't get any of that type of clamor from the critics or even the town initially. It, it, it kind of, the, the premiere was well attended, but not sold out. It, it was, um, it was strange. I thought crazy. it was, um, it was crazy. Yeah. And then 10 years on, I mean, after the Burbank, ro the robbery is a couple years on, then it started, then it started this, this groundswell of praise. That, that that's continued apace with um with movies that this is a, a masterpiece of filmmaking it's, it's 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 noir it's beyond noir it's noir beyond noir i mean some of the things i've read and um but at the time nothing nothing like that yeah just the, like, the way it was reviewed like a good solid caper movie and even in the process of this project when i first kicked it when i first kicked yeah when i first kicked oh sorry when i first kicked off the project i, I told people you know, I said my all-time favorite movie is Heat. And I said, I want to do a podcast where I examine it minute by minute because I feel like it, as a true masterpiece, it stands up to that level of scrutiny. And even at the time, a few people were like, this is crazy. But as the project evolved and more people knew about it and more people were involved in it, and I spoke to such wonderful creatives and actors and people, you know, and, and even people involved in the film, you know, it, it as most certainly solidified, like people are like, oh, there's none better than Heat. Like that's the exactly as you said. It's the high watermark in the crime genre, and you know, in a, in a cop cop robber genre. Like there's there's literally nothing that touches it. And so it's so funny that uh, throughout that time, it just grew and grew and grew. And and I think to your point, when you take people away for six weeks just to rehearse one of the like gigantic set pieces of the movie, which you then start shooting, you know, in 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 March, and you take people away from their Christmas to their families, the level of preparation and commitment you are. Are putting in this movie like it's it's almost like un you can't replicate it in 2020 or beyond and then you find out that bob was shooting casino simultaneous <laughs> flying in listen to this the first three weeks of the rehearsals he's flying in from vegas every fucking night Jesus. flying in from vegas after shooting with marty and joe and sharon flying into la getting a couple hours sleep in, his, in, the, in the Chateau and then coming over here to the Magic Mountain, former police, police academy shooting range and rehearsing for nine hours and then flying back to Vegas and shooting. And then when you find out that myself, I mean, this is Robert De Niro and he's, he's, he's sacrificing like this during the holidays. And um, then you, you get the, the measure of the man that Michael Mann was to actors. I mean, not only is he doing it, Al Pacino's doing it, but Al wasn't shooting a movie. Bob yeah. was shooting a movie, a great movie. <laughs> yeah, his, his <laughs> other masterpiece he shot in 1995, yeah. you know, <laughs> like the other great movie of the year. Yeah, yeah. Casino's a masterpiece. People don't give it enough credit. No. Uh, I, you know, I, I think you, you're an aficionado of him and... Uh, you know, of the genre and you've been in some of the great ones. And I think this year, uh, uh, sorry, last year as the release of the Irishman came around and Casino got its due, you know, like it was like people revisited Goodfellas a lot, but then people went, Oh, what's the, you know, the next in this sort of logical Pesci De Niro Scorsese trilogy, if you like, which is Casino, which is just equally um, a, a, an outstanding movie. Don Rickles, Don Rickles is just so good. And then, and then also you talk about the story of a movie growing. I think Don Rickles on the side, telling funny stories about cracking De Niro up and busting his balls on set, you know, builds the lore of the movie, you know, as well. Like there's great stories that come out of both, both movies. We hear those stories after they happen. He would come to this, he would come to the rehearsal and go, 
remember him saying to me, oh, um, hey, Tom, what, what, what do you think of Tom Rickles? You like him? And I went, yeah, he's, he's cool. He's funny. He went, well, you think he's funny? Oh, I'm making a movie with him. He said, oh, it's called Casino. Oh, really? <laughs> and he said, and this happened last night. And um, yeah, I, I would hear those stories the, the same day they happened. You know? Oh, my God. <laughs> my God. And, um, and I thought it was one of Bell's best performances um, along with um, the performance in um, we, we played Doc Holiday, um, Tombstone. Oh, Val, you I, know, the three, the three of you together, you know, I, I, I have cheated the rules of the po- podcast. Usually what we do is as the process of our discussion happens and, uh, is I'll, I'll give someone a minute, I'll give them a minute to, to view with me and we'll watch it together. And I'm going to just have to do it in the preamble because I've had too much fun talking to you. But if I had to choose a minute, I would choose that for you. And you're not going to know exactly when this is, but I'll, I'll, I'll tell the listeners too. It's the 77th minute and the 77th minute of this movie is you Kilmer and De Niro on screen together, deliberating about what, what the next, steps are going to be like you know it's that great scene like jesus where the fuck did this heat come from that whole sequence and it's the and it's the moment where you say the action is the juice and i remember and i remember all three of you in that scene and all of the guests that spoke to me in those original episodes we just were all completely floored by the level of intensity and i think as you said it before when michael asked you you know if I'm in tight on Robert De Niro and then I've got to come in tight on you, do you think you can maintain the intensity? I think in that scene, it's like a holy trinity of intensity. You, Kilmer and De Niro all just bouncing off of one another. Like it's a, it's an unbelievable scene. Like it's like, the, and I think that that's some of the best performances is, is that whole relationship that the three of you have together there. It's, it's amazing. I, I agree. I mean, that's the best scene in the movie for me. And <laughs> Bob and Alice, and Bob and Alice scene is great scene, but from the scene, that's probably the greatest scene I've, one of the, if not the greatest scene I've ever been in my life. I mean, I'll never forget that day. Um, we're shooting up by the, um, where they shot the shootout, where they shot the, um, when Van Zandt tries to double cross him. Yes. And, uh, and Bob's picking up the money and Val's on the roof. That was the first half, of, that, was, that was the day before, and they, they, they tidied it up that morning, and then we went right into that scene. Um, it was the same location. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's wild. That was in the beginning of May. Beginning of, yeah, beginning of May. Yeah. So, so you roll in, you've got these iconic performances that hit, you know, I, I, I personally have a real soft spot for you as um, Agent Dietz and Point Break. I love you as that character. Um, you know, another, another great LA crime, another great cat and mouse LA crime movie of a completely different style, but a freaking insane but you're, you then sort of round out the 90s with, you know, Saving Private Ryan and then lead into Black Hawk Down, two of, I think, arguably the best war movies ever made. And you're, you're here uh, going along, getting a lot of recognition. This is like the peak of, uh, I think, you know, your recognizability in, the, in Hollywood. What, can, I, can I ask you to pivot for a second and go, when does it start to bubble and simmer for you that heat actually becomes part of the conversation? Because I cannot tell you in the last three years, how many times people have said, Blake, the action is the juice or the podcast is the juice or this, you know, this show is the juice. Uh, and, and I just can't tell you, you know, uh, how many times people have repeated your lines. And especially now 
in the world of social media, when someone has a really shit take or is like talking nonsense, people saying, stop talking. Okay. Slick, you know, like things like that. Like I, I just wonder if, if you have any understanding of how fond we are of your character and your performance and how that the myth of this movie has grown. Like, I just wonder if you ever, was there ever a moment that you're like, shit, this thing actually is really important. You know, it was, it, it was as good as we thought it was going to be. It's just taken a while for people to catch up. Um, no, 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 there's not real one moment. Um, I remember when I was doing, um, when I was doing Dreamcatcher, yes, uh, in 2000, and some of those younger actors, I mean, um, Tom Jane, who I became good friends with, and um, um, Timothy, and uh, the, the, the British, the British guy who went on to do um, the TV show, um. He plays, he plays the guy, the dream catcher. Anyway. Yeah, Damien Lewis. Guys, Damien Lewis, yep. Yeah, Damien, 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 yeah. Damien and Timothy and, and Tom. And um, specifically those three guys all came up to me by themselves and told me um, how much how much heat meant to them and what they, what they, were, what they were like before he, I think it was Tom or Timothy said, it was before heat and after heat. <laughs> uh, um, in his uh, in what he wanted to do as an actor, and and what movies, how what kind of what could movies accomplish, or how far could they reach, and um, you know I, that was the first time uh, you know of a fellow actor. You know, I mean, these guys were really you know I was a little taken aback, and I was like, really, I mean, has that kind of value to you? Is, is that valuable of, of an experience of your young of your of your life up to now? Yeah, yeah, it was. It, it was like that. Um, Tom actually, um, the Natural Born Killers, he was really knocked out by that. And then and he really liked me as an actor or whatever, you know. <clears throat> Tom's just a great actor. Yes. Um, he's, a, he's the greatest blonde-haired actor. He and, he and, um, <laughs> he and Robert Redford, the two great blonde-haired actors. <laughs> Anthony Hopkins is kind of fair-haired, too. Um, he would be the best. In. But, um, um, yeah, there was no real one moment, but uh, I, I remember... I was in Canada doing a dream catcher and we were in a van freezing our asses off. And uh, when all three of them were talking to me at once and it was, it was, it was quite something. Yeah. You, you always know you, you, you've done something kind of special when you, when you can, you know, certain act, these talented actors are, there's not a lot of them, but the, the, there's some, there's, there's always, a, a, you know, when these guys, guys like that praise you, it's, 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 it's uncommon. It's not, it's not, it's not, yeah. it's not yeah, it's it's you know when your peers stop you and say no before we do anything, I need to say how much this movie meant to me, and they, you know, that touch really their, they touch their fandom. That's like that's that's incredible. Actors are really competitive by nature. I mean, just to, to try and do this is kind of nuts. Actors yes. are really competitive, and um, it's just getting a compliment out of someone—a genuine compliment—is is, is rare. It, it just isn't a very common thing. You're not going to get it from your 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 fellows all that much, unless it is truly magnificently good yes and um i remember telling my brother this and he said he the younger brother and he became really good friends with tom jane he said tom you know it's true and you really should it is magnificently good and you should know that and you should you appreciate that and feel good about it you, you were in a work of art to, to these guys it was just a work of art <clears throat> and um i always thought art had to be a one man or woman one person had to be behind it you know this, this group art thing is kind of weird you know um but because i was, I was growing because my it's so, was, 
It's so unlikely, but, Tom. It's so unlikely, Tom. That's I think that it's so much simpler when the, you think of a Van Gogh paint. Yeah, when it's when it's when Van when Van Gogh paints a painting. It's one guy and one vision. And as you said, everything that Michael does is, you know, he curates that vision, but he's doing it with 70 speaking parts and about 40 of those people are some of the best actors that have ever worked and these huge set pieces and this deep philosophy and these multiple storylines. Like how unlikely is it? Like just on paper, how unlikely does that sound like it's going to be anything great? Exactly. I mean, you got a thousand people and and making that soup and, um, even if even if you boil it down, okay, you got the filmmaker, you got your executives, and you you have so many people who, who have to taste the sauce and say, you know, I like the sauce, or you got so many people who got to drink the Kool Aid and be seduced into and 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 just saying this is the real Kool Aid. It's a miracle that somebody gets through like like Heat and Natural Born Killers, which and yeah. worked in the room. I mean, however, so many executives, I think these like wanted to distance himself distance themselves from the movie they left Oliver alone so when it, it was <laughs> when it was carpet by people they could say well we had nothing to do with it even though our names on it we left them alone but no it was the opposite thing happened the critics you know pandered to Oliver and um you know I think that's because is a, is a, is a un, is a un deserve some of the praise you might be giving heat it, it's just a very daring movie and, and I think it's Oliver's best movie well, maybe Nixon might be better but um Oh, you know, but it, Oliver, it, it, Oliver at that time, it's really funny when what happens, you know, this is something we've also talked about. It's really funny what happens when people have a run of amazing movies because some, some of them hit and then later on the people, you know, though, it's actually those movies that are, you know, considered I'll, lesser or, or lo- don't gain as much traction that are sometimes more interesting. Like if you talk about critical reception, Michael's most critically, Michael Mann's most critically, you know, received, well-received movie ever is The Insider that happens in 99 but you then look on either side of it and you've got like collateral and heat, which are both kind of like crime classics in their own right. Um, and I would argue heat is, you know, supersedes collateral in many ways, but it's, it's like you, you then go and go wait. And even Coppola, you know, like rumble fish and cotton club and even Dracula to a certain extent. It's like, you've got the Godfathers. Some people forget that you can be having a run. And I think Oliver Stone, you, you said, you mentioned two, I guess, of the, of the lesser known ones of Nixon and, and Natural Born, and they're both incredible films. But they're in the middle of the run. You're right. It started with Platoon, and it yes. ended, I believe, with Nixon. Or did he direct U Turn? And correct me if he did. Yeah, he, he did U Turn with Sean Penn. Yep. Okay, it started with Platoon, and it ended with U Turn. Yes. That's the run. Well, yes. By the time he does Sunday, he's off the run. He's on a he's in a different template. He's dealing with a different a different palette, di- different things going on in his life. Yes, I knew him right after Platoon, and I knew him through the run, of course. And I almost at any given Sunday, I would have done it if I hadn't been doing something else. I don't know what part it was, but it was one of the football players. Um, and um, I couldn't do it, but I did go visit the set. They were in Florida, and I all and I got real close, and I went down to visit him, and I could tell that it was different. You could just tell he wasn't as engaged. He, he wasn't as he just wasn't as engaged. I don't know how else to put it. He just wasn't as engaged. And um, yeah, that's, 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 that, that, that is nothing. This run you're talking about is no more sure than it is with Oliver Stone, I believe. Yeah. You can really see that run. Um, Michael's always been up here. He's always hitting at, at the ball at a high level. He's always John McEnroe or Yvonne Michael. He's <laughs> hitting the ball real well. Yes. And no matter, no matter what he's doing, thief or, um, the, the what was the last one? 
He did black. He did black hat. He's now onto Tokyo Vice, um, and he Tokyo. was pu- public he enemies. He's been doing Tokyo Vice forever. Yeah, six years ago when he was starting that movie, um, and he's still doing that movie. He was just starting to write it. Yeah, you know, Michael. Michael writes, writes them, then he casts them, then he shoots them, <laughs> and then he cuts. Them. Okay, the, the simplest process for Michael, the briefest one, is the shooting, and of course for me, that's the like that's all the glory. From from Michael, that's way down the line of investment and time in the movie that he the bulk of the time is taken up writing it. You know, that's where the lion's share of the time is. So you get your time between Michael Mann's movies and everyone's working along with them in harmony, it's gonna be three, four years. Yeah, you gotta write it. The the only thing we we're all wishing right now, and it's 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 sort of happened with someone like Terrence Malick, is like the gaps between the movies are quite big, but we want them to be we want less of a gap because we just want more stuff because we want more Michael Mann things. So we're just like, please be like Terrence Malick and make four, one movie a year for the next five years. would be really nice because we don't want to wait three or four years between them anymore. Please. You're not going to get that. Terry. Um, I was casting um, the other Ryan. What was it called? Thin Red Line. Thin Red Line. I was, I was casting that movie as Elias Contreras' role. And it shot the same time that same about Ryan shot. And I was casting both. I thought I was cast in both of them. I was cast in Terry's movie the week prior to Stephen giving me the offer. And getting cast in Terry's movie was very difficult because it was only Sean in the movie and, and then Nick and then me. And um, I had to tell Terrence Malick on the phone that I was not going to do his movie. I was going to um, do Seven Private Ryan. And um, I just want to say he cussed me out, which I didn't, <laughs> think, he, I didn't think he would do. Of course, I didn't know him that well. Of course, I don't think I don't know if anybody does, but I, I just knew the the movie, um, you know, with Martin Sheen and uh, and um, God in my brain, I'm getting older. Martin Sheen and Sissy Spacek, um, bad, bad lines. lines, right? Yeah, <clears throat> that's all I knew about Terrence Malick. And then, of course, I went through this casting process with him, which went on for like three months. It was strange. I had to be at Hamburger Hamlet like six different times for lunch. He like, Hamburger Hamlet on Sunset over there, you know, right where the strip would end. And um, <clears throat> and we had this strange read through at um at Mike Metavoy's home that was attended by um like um it should have been like thirty five actors there and there were seven and um, wow. they were passing out these roles and you're going to read these six parts you're going to it was a strange thing <clears throat> and it was all for Malik to see me uh, in certain situations I you know I asked Sean before I was cast what's he doing I mean what am I what do I got to do to make him decide yes or no. And he goes, I don't know exactly. I mean, I, I, I just met him a year and a half ago or something. And we've been working on this. Uh, yeah. Um, and, and then Elias replaced me. Um, but um, those kind of guys, those guys are all tours. You're just not going to get a lot of, you're not going to get a lot of material from them. And, and the, the proof is in the pudding. You just yeah. look at the movies. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. I mean, you know, there are it's it's so funny that like two again two of the greatest american war movies ever made are made at exactly the same time completely tonal completely tonally different doing completely different things but arguably um same or both completely iconic both both hugely influential and you know i think your sergeant horvath is maybe as good as it gets. So I kind of like, I can't imagine any other person in the whole world playing that role. So to be honest, it's like, maybe you, you've definitely made the right choice, I think. Um, but you know, that's, you know, I, I still want to imagine, I still want to imagine you in the thin red line. I think that would be, would have been the craziest thing if that could have happened. You've been in the two, the two 1998 war movies. That would have been insane. Right. 
Malik, isn't it wild that they both did it that summer? The, those two men yeah. did the, they kind of retired the World War II genre too. It was yeah. done. When those yeah. came out, it, the last word on the World War II has been said in yeah. a way. Yeah, movies. Um, yeah, it was, uh, you remember Elias Kateas' part in Thin Red Line? I do. I love, I, I love Elias Kateas a lot I as, as, as an actor. Yeah, I, I'm one of our next one of our next projects. Tom is actually Zo- we're doing what's called the Zodiac Chronicle, going through David Fincher's 2007 Zodiac and Elias Kateas is a, in that movie. He plays uh, Jack yeah. Mullinax as a, one of the one of the Vallejo sheriffs, and I I'm a huge fan of his. He's he's incredible and I, he's great in the red line. Great actor, great actor. There's a, a younger Elias bears a resemblance to De Niro. Yeah, look yeah, they do. Same hair, same hair. Uh, yeah, because and they're also both wiry. Because you know, back in their youth, they were really wiry and sort of like they, they haven't got that kind of bulldog shoulders yet. They're very wiry. And both real weird and real wiry. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> real weird and wiry. That's it. <laughs> yeah, you know, great guys, both great actors. So Tom, uh, I mean, they've been hitting the ball hard for forty-five fucking years, man. Fifty years. I, I, I mean, I, I, I think I think people, I think people sleep on both Pacino and De Niro, um, and you only have to watch them in something like The Irishman, and everyone's like, oh, they're amazing actors, or like you know, with with De Niro more recently, it was something like Silver Linings Playbook or a couple of those other ones, and they're like, oh, he's a great actor, and they're yeah. like, yeah, he's only he's been like it's like Meryl Streep, like these guys are so they're so good that they just crush almost, you know, if they have the right material and the right, and they're, and they're in the right environment, they can do anything. And I think it's a really interesting thing that Pacino said in the lead up to the Irishman is like, I started, you know, there's a certain point in your career where you can decide if you get a crappy script, you think that you maybe can do something with it. And he's like, and I've acted in plenty of movies where I thought I could bring something more to elevate a crappy script. And he's like, and sometimes that doesn't work. And more often than not, it doesn't. And he's like, but you still go out swinging, but they're all a mate. Like they're all every one of your crew and and the extended family of heat like all of those actors are unbelievable ashley judd is amazing you know she kind of disappeared off the face the earth val is absolutely incredible um you know michael t williamson wes studi still crushing it all over the place ted levine you know the buffalo bill like amazing all all those guys demi is great in the movie isn't he yeah Um, um, what's it? The guy who played Buffalo Bill and yeah, Lange. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Levine, Levine, Ted Levine. Yeah, he's Le- wonderful. That's a, just a great cast. But it is true, though. People don't. You're right. People don't appreciate De Niro and Pacino the way I do. Your average person doesn't seem to get it. I mean, the average man did bring it home for certain people. Like, oh, these guys are really these guys. They've been doing this since '69, '71. You know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Godfather was '72, wasn't it? Yes, '72. Yeah. 72 and 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 and, yeah and you know 70 72 and then 74 respectively like and i think the conversation of the godfather you know bob was gonna read for the godfather and he was up for michael and for um sunny yeah and um he 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 would get into it all sometimes it was really funny you know if 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 um if the casting director hadn't thought he was so talented (laughs) <laughs> he tested for both of them and didn't get in either one and was really really disconsolate but was told by fred ruse francis's producer that francis has a plan for you if this movie works out yes and bob's like 
this movie works out with a big sentence. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it's, it's 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 only the whole fate of Paramount Studios uh, is yeah. riding on this movie, <laughs> so it's fine. You know, if it works, it works. <laughs> there's that that's that's the beautiful thing about the internet tom is you know um every now and then i think it happens every few months when the godfather comes back into conversation but like the the de niro audition tapes for sunny emerge you know they're on youtube or something yeah. and someone puts a clip on and you know the the sliding doors moments of you know who would who would have been michael and things like that and it's like you know, sometimes the universe, like fate is whispering to someone. And I think at Francis during that peak of his run, I think the, he had a, he had a line into the universe, you know, and, and having Al and then, you know, and then having Bob for, for Godfather part two, like the, all of the, all of the stars were, you know, he was, I don't know. He, he was. They became a star in Tom Cruise's generation. I mean, they're all on the outsider. Yes. Including, including Tom himself. Yes. They're all in the movie. From <laughs> yeah. that done, how Crazy. They're all in the fucking movie. Yes. <laughs> no, Francis, Francis, and then you discovered Michael. You discovered Alan, Bob, in a lot of ways. You know, and put them yeah. on the big, put them in a big movie, a big studio movie. I mean, Alan only done um, the Panic Needle Park, and Bob had done like uh, the thing with Shirt Shelley Winters and you know, these really little low budget movies. And then Francis is the one who put both those both those men in the in the public eye. Mm. Give a big yeah. stage and put them bright. And again, talk about chasing the dragon. You know, uh, fortunately, there's someone as talented as Marty Scorsese that does things like the Goodfellas and the Irishman because, you know, people have been chasing that mafia, you know, dragon for many years. It took the Sopranos on TV and someone like James Gandolfini to, you know, to reach the same heights as the Godfather and Godfather Part Two. But it's like, it's, you know, I, I like to call them um, genre ruiners. And I think in Heat, in many ways, is like a crime genre ruiner for a few years because people just, they don't know what to do. Like it hits a new height and it takes a new paradigm to shift or to make a smaller scale thing or a larger scale thing, or take it to a, a more serialized narrative. Like it, like, you know, it takes, it takes time for things to, to sort of get back under their feet once these seminal texts are made. And, you know, I, I think the Godfather, the Godfathers and heats and, and that synergy. Um, it's crazy. Hamlet of, each Hamlet, each the Hamlet of um, being indecisive about what you should do with your life. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, the story on um, on um, puberty. Or, you know, a lot of people say Hamlet's about a lot of different things, but um, Hamlet can't make up his mind. You know, he doesn't know what to do, and he did just kind of like wrote the book on cops and robbers. And there, here it is. Here's cops and robbers. And uh, if you're gonna do it well, you got you got this is the this is the, this is the post. This is the signpost. This is yeah. the high water mark. This is the high water mark. You got to get near it at least if you're gonna go and go and do it, or you shouldn't do it. Yeah. Yeah, they did. He did. <laughs> well, Tom, I, I just wanted to say, like, I think, um, I just want to say, firstly, thank you so much for being a part of this conversation. I know that we were probably meant to promote your new movie, Central Park Dark, which we will okay. do in a, we, we will do we will do in a moment. But I just wanted to say, um, from the bottom of my heart, as a person who's dedicated my life to this movie for many years, um, it was my dream to get creatives such as yourself who are a part of it um, to be on the show um, in any way, shape, or form. And the opportunity to talk to you today is amazing. And I've had such a great chat with you and um, it's just been a joy. I'm going to, I'm going to listen back to this myself um, with a massive smile on my face. And I just want to say thank you so much for being a part of the show. And thank you for this performance because it is truly in, 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 I think the best crime film ever made. It is truly one of the iconic performances with the iconic lines and it's just a treat talking. So thank you so much. Thank, thank you. Well, thank you, Blake. Thank you very much. Too. Thanks. <laughs>
This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.